We're going to kick off a preaching series today, Loving the Sinner, Hating the Sin. And it's a saying that has been said for a while that I truly want to just push some buttons on and push to the core of it to see whether we actually do. To see whether we can actually say that, you know, sinner has a, a dirty word attached to it. And so what does that mean? Who is that? Who is that applied to and who is exempt from that word? Yet can we love them, whoever they are, yet hate sin? Hate sin. Uh, we're going to have fun for the next six weeks leading into Easter, speaking through this. If you've got your Bible, head on over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I have one goal today, if you're okay. I have, I have one predominant goal today. It's to help you see that you are a very loved sinner. If I can get you to see that accurately, remind you that you are a very loved sinner, I think it's going to be the right springboard for us to having a proper Christ-like love for the members in our community. If you think that you are perfect and righteous, then your love will be very shallow and very um, pity-filled instead of empathy-filled. So, Hebrews chapter 4. Since then, so since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God. If this is Christianese so far, in other words, it's saying since we've got Jesus, he's in heaven right now. And he's a thing called a high priest, which fits perfectly with the Old Testament. We won't go into that right now. Jesus is in heaven. Well, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest, Jesus Christ of ours, well, he understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Verse 16. So let us come boldly. One time, can you say boldly? Boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There, that's where. We will find, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I've got a quote from Charles Spurgeon just because I love him so much and his mind. Jesus did not die for our righteousness. I think it's meant to be but, sorry, be. But he died for our sins. He did not come to save us because we were worth saving, but because we were utterly worthless, ruined and undone. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Once again, we thank you for everything you have done, everything you are doing, and everything you will continue to do in our worlds and in our community. We personally reflect on when you saved us, and made us alive, made us born again, and we understood what you did on the cross was for us. We thank you for that. We thank you for how much you've grown us in that revelation understanding since that day. And Lord, we thank you that you're still about that business. Jesus, you're still saving. You're still bringing revelation. You're still bring, setting people free. And we thank you that we will partner with you in this beautiful mission of seeing people saved in our communities and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of years ago, I got to um, do a, a 
missions ministry trip to Kazakhstan with Pastor Richard Green. It was almost two years ago, and uh, uh, if you're with me, you probably just thought it was a made-up word in the movie Borat, but it's an actual country. Uh, land-wise, it's the ninth largest in the world, one of many stands, which I didn't know means land of the Kazakhs, land of the Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, there's all these stands around there. So we went to Kazakhstan and they gathered uh, 600, no, sorry, 350 pastors in this one building and it was incredible time, amazing time, intense time. But on the trip home, we, uh, we were flying, the capital of Kazakhstan is called Almaty. It was Almaty, sorry, um, it's changed its name now. But we were flying Almaty Air. You're already with me, right? And so the way there, it's shaking and you're, you're picturing every kind of Discovery Channel TV show you've ever seen about why the plane crashed or something like that. And you're praying and we get there fine and safe. And on the way back, we've got to do a leg from, from Ormady to Thailand, to Bangkok with Ormady Air. And I'm freaking out and I'm walking up to the gate, like checked in, everything's there. And I'm, I'm not a bad flyer, at, you know, I'm not a bad flyer, but I'm not looking forward to this moment one bit. And so as I get up to the gate, though, I was like, I just don't know if anything could make me feel more comfortable about this flight. And as we're getting on the plane, like the plane is a meter away and they're checking my ticket, they're like, oh, Mr. Gori, there's been a change of seats for you. Seat 2A, we've upgraded you to business class. <laughs> and angels in heaven, the choir surrounded me singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God Almighty, I, I've, I've never flown business class before or since. No, nowhere near the money to do that. And so as I walked into this armchair, before anyone else is sitting down, they're like, would you like a drink? I'm like, yes, darling, what do you have? And they're like, whatever you want, sir. I'm like, well, what red wines do you have? It's like, oh, we've got a couple from France and Italy. I'm like, well, you can pop one of those bad boys from France, baby, and just bring it on. I'm sitting here like this in my armchair, and a flat screen TV pulls out of here. It's like the hole in front of me. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this couldn't get better. As I look, and uh, my, friend, my friend Steve Godfrey was upgraded with me. Our other friend, Jeff, wasn't. And so he's in the back... <laughs> Like this, just crammed up, and the flight leaves at 1 a.m., and I'm like, I've got to try and get some sleep. But then I'm like, I may never get this opportunity again. So I'm like, I am not sleeping. They bring out three courses of food. Like, one is literally, I get, like, dark and amazing, like, all this incredible food that you normally you get, like, a reheated meat pie that who knows where it was made or something like that. And I'm like, this is incredible. Everyone else is asleep, and I'm like, excuse me. Darling, what dark chocolate do you have to go with this delicious red wine? She brings out a box and she's like, you just pick and choose whatever you want. And I'm like, you can just leave that there. <laughs> Watching these movies, I'm like, this is amazing. And there's a button here and I'm like, what does this do? Back to a full bed. I'm in heaven. I'm literally flat. And I'm like pulling the TV up so I can see it here and choking on my wine. I'm like, this is... Pretty sure this is a glimpse of heaven, Lord. It was hands down the best flight experience I have ever had. And so it made me all the more sad 
I didn't ask you if it's okay for me to tell you this story about a certain family member, but I'm going to anyway. But it's easier to ask for repentance than permission, right? Okay. <laughs> what not to do in marriage. See, guys, I give you lessons. They're not always like, follow me. And what not to do in marriage. Don't do what I'm about to do. And so uh, back in 1992, somewhere around there, Hannah's grandparents had never been to Australia. And they decided to fly out, her dad's German, and moved out here and married Janet. And, and, and the kids are all born by then. They've got three girls. So the grandparents are like, well, we're going to fly out. And it's expensive. Anyone, uh, anyone ever remember roughly like plane tickets back then? You were flying a lot, Pastor Graham. Like they were crazy expensive. So they saved and saved and saved and bought these airfares from Germany. Like now it's a grueling crazy, gruesome, like, 24-hour flight, which we're like, it's short. It's still brutal now. I don't even know what it was like back then. As Horst, Hans Granddad, is walking up and they check his ticket, they upgrade them to first, not business, first class. As they go and sit down in first class, Hannah's grandparents don't speak a single word of English. And they start bringing around trays of the finest champagne and the finest food and all of this. And they have spent all their money on the ticket and they think you have to pay extra. And so for 30 hours in first class, they're going, no, thank you. Sipping on the water for 30 hours. They've got snacks in their bag. And they're in first class, people. I haven't even seen first class. First class is like when you walk in, you're not even allowed to peep into first class. They like slap your hand. They're like, how dare you, peasant? And they whip you on the back and say, get back to cattle class in economy. Like, you are... You, first class is a different world. It's seriously like what? Wonder Woman. You know that secret world that she lives in with the Amazonians or something like that's first class. It's like a mirror. You can't see it until you stick your head in and you somehow enter into Amazon. You're like, oh my goodness. You come back and you can't see it. It's a mirage. There's nothing really. That, that's first class. And he's in first class with champagne and this and this and this. Sorry. Thinking he had to pay more to get it. And it crushed me so much. I was like, oh, he's such a good dude, these incredible people. And as I reflected on it, I thought, how, how, how many Christians would I know that pay, that they, they, they invest and they get this little ticket and they're like, I can do this. I can, okay, that's my Christian life. And they, 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 they make this sacrifice. Okay, here's my Christian life world in this bubble, in this circle, and they don't even know what's on offer for free. For free. I often am moved to tears thinking about how many Christians I know that don't push in enough in prayer or the Word, push into God, believing that He has good gifts and He has more grace and He has more revelations and He has more things in store for you. It kills me thinking that He, he cannot purchase any more, but we can access more. 
And it doesn't come through you giving money or doing more. It comes from you getting more and just seeing more. So verse 14 is crucial. We're going to start. Verse 14 is going to hinge our, our entire next six weeks in a way where it says, let us hold firmly to what we believe in. Hey, church, we, we know what we believe in. Let's go again. We believe we were saved by grace. Amen. We were saved by grace through faith. This was not of your own doing. It is a free gift from God that no man may boast. We're going to hang on to what Jesus did on the cross. We're going to hang on firmly that He adopted us. He saved us. He forgave us. He made us a new creation. He made us whole. He brought us into the family. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He's going to glorify us one day, according to Romans 8.30. He is in all, doing all, through all, as Paul said in Romans 11.33, From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're holding firmly to that. Are you with me? We're going to hold on firmly to Jesus Christ and His wonderful grace. And we are not letting go. Because religion's going to try and creep in and say, let go of that and, and grab onto some self-righteous works or some, some, some self-hatred and, and some personal judgment is going to creep in and say, let go of that and, and grab onto you're not fully forgiven yet and you're not fully accepted yet. No, we're going to hold firmly that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. And so I today, I I, I don't say this lightly, I know I preach around this message a lot, but if you can catch what we will say right now, it will set you up for the most beautiful, wonderful rest of your life on this earth. Please, just come with me, 15, 20 minutes, let's say 20, I say 15, I go 20, let's go 20 minutes, you with me? We're going to keep our culture statement up there for this year as well, discipleship is a culture of, say with me, growing in Christ. Loving the lost, enjoying life together. Today we have a goal of showing you, I'm going to show you how you can grow in Christ. And I'm going to show you how you growing in Christ helps you love the lost and helps us enjoy life together. I'll push that up to the corner. All right, this is for all the visual learners in the room. Who's a visual learner? Can I see your hand? That's not me, but I know that I have to do different things to help you guys get different things. So this, just, this is for you guys. It's a little present. Okay, so here's our... So here's our, I'm going to do every line 16 times so you can see it at the back, okay? Is that cool with you, Caleb? You're the beautiful straightened hair on your movie set right now, doing a movie, you handsome man. Okay, so here's our life. We're going to say this is birth, and then this moment here is when God starts to reveal certain things to you. How many people know, it's just, just, you know, kind of theology 101 in the aspect of soteriology. Soteriology means the study of salvation. Before you get saved, you have to be aware that there is a God. You have to be aware that that God is good, that God is Jesus Christ, and that you have to be aware that you have sin in your world. You just have to be, you can't be saved unless you're aware that there is sin in your world. And sin is mistakes. Sin is things that you need saving from. That's why we call Jesus a savior. And then you have to believe there has to be a bridge in the gap. So we start coming up here and we start seeing. While I'm talking, Kim, could you please run upstairs and grab another whiteboard marker? Thank you so much. You are the absolute best. 
You start seeing God's holy. Oh my goodness, Jesus was tempted in every way I am, yet was without sin. Wow. And this is the, the upward slope for the rest of your life. This upward ramp that's now an inch wide, because <laughs> I'm trying to make it wide, called... For the rest of your Christian journey, you are growing in your understanding and revelation of God's holiness. For the rest of your life. For the rest of your life, that's a good thing. And so this is where it starts to happen. You start to, oh wow, there is a God. And he was tempted in everywhere, and he was without sin. Oh my goodness gracious me. And at the same time, this other journey happens at the exact same time. Sorry to the podcasters, this will make no sense because you can't see what I'm doing. But there's a fork in the road. One line goes up. An increasing view of God's holiness for the rest of your life. That is growing. The same thing that is growing for the rest of your life is a view of how prone to sin you and I are. Do not interpret that as how many sins you do. I'm not saying for the rest of your life, like, oh yeah, when I got saved, you know, I used to, you know, every now and again have a beer, but now I've been saved 20 years and I get maggot every night because Dan said to grow in my sinfulness. Thank you, Kim, you're the best. I'm not saying grow in sinful actions. I'm saying growing in your awareness that you are prone to sin. You are prone to sin. And so what happens in this awareness, we're we're living this life once again. As we are living this life, at some point, because this awareness starts happening, and this awareness might be like fairly short, it might be even in a service, or it might be over years. Who knows? God does his work in your heart, and I can't see it. I just see its effects. You can read John chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 8 for that. The wind blows where it wants. We see not where it goes, nor where it comes from. But we see its effects. So it is of everyone born of the Spirit. And so God is doing this work in you in His timing, His perfect timing. And somewhere around here, bam, you get a revelation of the cross. We're going to go through it. We're going to get there. You get a revelation of the cross. That is your salvation. Come on now, cheer it. That is your salvation. Come on, thank you, Jesus. You're a good God. You're for me. You get a revelation at salvation that you have sinfulness in your world, that you are prone to be your own God, that you're prone to lead your own life. You are prone to to be Lord and Savior of your own life, and that is called sinfulness. And yet God is so good, and he, He was tempted in every way we are, yet He didn't sin. And now he's in heaven, not in a judgment seat or an angry seat, but in a gracious throne room. And he says, come boldly, come boldly. And we go boldly and we get salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Look at this beautiful revelation. Beautiful revelation we're going to call salvation this morning. It's amazing, right? Amazing? 
Hey, and then you're going you're gonna to keep going, though. From this moment on, you're going to keep traveling up here, and, and suddenly your awareness of God's holiness is, is growing and growing. And suddenly, not only was he tempted in every way I was, yet it was without sin, he's uncreated. There's nothing greater than my God. Woo! He breathed the stars into being. And Moses says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He has always been God. Nothing created him. There's nothing higher than him. He has no start date. He has no finish date. Oh my goodness. He breathed the stars into being. You with me? Your holiness, God, your understanding of God's holiness is growing. And at the same time, so is this, oh my gosh, but I've been in church for a month now, or I've been in church for three or six months, a year, two years now. And how did I still mess up like that last weekend? How, how did I still do that? Shouldn't I be rid of that by now? Shouldn't I be done with that now? Should, I, I said, Jesus, I, I love you, please forgive me of my sins, but how can I go back to that? I immediately regret it. I immediately regret what I did, and, and then you push into Scripture. And you realize that that regret is not condemnation. It's a word the Bible uses called conviction, where God in his love is saying, come back to me again. Come back and ask forgiveness. And you're like, wait a minute. So not only do you forgive sins at, at my salvation, you forgive me again? And he's like, yes. Come boldly into the throne room of grace that you can obtain mercy in a time of need. And so then, catch it. You get a bigger picture of the work of the cross. Whoa. Whoa. So the cross wasn't just Jesus lived for, you know, 33 years and three and a half years of ministry of some things and then died and rose again. Like, that's not it. Are you telling me that when he forgives that and he forgives my sins, he knows that I'll sin again. And so he didn't just forgive the past sins. He forgives the present sins and the future sins, which isn't license to go around sinning. But it is this all-encompassing grace to know that he did, he's not shocked by what I do next weekend. That's not license to go and get drunk and sleep around and cheat on your tax bill and all those things and tell a story from stage without asking your wife's submission about her family. It's, it's not <laughs> license to go and do that. But he's not shocked by that. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. And so you're like, God, look, here we are again. And he's going, yeah, here he, you are again on page 65, but I, I wrote the flopping book. Like I'm, I'm at the last page and the first page at the same time. I live outside of time. I live outside of time. And you're saying, oh, how could you believe, how could you forgive me again? I did this like three times already. And he's like, yeah, I've, I've seen all 19 times you've done it. And I forgave you of all 19 times because something happens on the 19th where, where you are set free from that sin and that bondage and that addiction. And so I, I loved you then and I bought you then and I filled you then and I'm, I've forgiven you then. My grace is sufficient. As he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. And so you're getting this bigger revelation of the impact of what Jesus did on the cross. It's growing. It's amazing. Here's what scares me. You guys okay with this? Here's what scares me. I might pick the black one. I think that too many, can we use a global scale? Not personal, not in this church. Too many global Christians stop here or here. 
And there is so much more to grow in their knowledge of God's holiness. And it would be good. There is so much more to grow in in our awareness of our sinfulness, our prone to sin. Because self-righteousness will creep in, just like it did to the Pharisees, when you lose sight of how prone to sin you really are. So that's a scary thing when that's, that's your world now. You don't grow past the here. But here's an even scarier thing. When you do grow in your awareness of how holy and big and amazing Jesus Christ is, and you do grow in your awareness of how prone to sin you are, but you do not grow in your understanding of the impact of the cross. Here's what happens. Suddenly, you start going up here. You've gone from here to here. Now I'm more aware of how holy God is. And I'm more aware of how sinful I am. But my understanding of the impact of what Jesus did on the cross is the same size. So how is there grace to forgive me? He's so holy. How could he want to welcome me into his presence? And I'm so sinful. How could I call myself a, a, a member of a church or a connect leader or a department? How could I do that? And so two things start happening. Number one, down the bottom here. Just need to get that right. Well, we start pretending. I'm more aware of my sinfulness. I'm more aware that I'm prone to sin. And I'm going to hammer this one point for the next six weeks, if it's cool with you. Here's, here's my point. I need us to catch, not just here. I need us to catch it here. Sin is not a moral failure. Sin is making an idol in your heart. It's something else you want to worship above God. If sin is a moral failure, then the absence of moral failures according to God's law would equal lack of sin. But that's not what Paul's addressing predominantly in the book of Romans. Romans 1, Romans 2. He's, he's, he's attacking idolatry. Otherwise, here's what happens. Here's why. We start focusing on, I better just be good. And then I'm good with God, right? Like my relationship's good with God if I'm good. And we can remove intimacy because we are morally performing for God. So sin, what I'm saying here, our awareness of sinfulness, it's not, please don't be like, oh, I haven't, you know, I'd name those big ones because whatever. I don't know, they're just the first ones that come to mind. But getting, uh, getting whatever, cheating on tax bill, cheating on spam, looking at pornography, whatever, stealing money. I'm trying to think of some things. We, we look at moral actions. It's far deeper than that. It's far deeper than that. Sin is a heart issue. Sin is saying, that God, I want to I be in charge. God, I, I want to worship this above you. I want to worship money. I want to worship position. I want to worship relationship. I want to worship something above you. It's a, a, in your heart, you have an idol. And so here's what happens. And you will see this if I explain it correctly now. Lord, give me strength in the words. As you get more aware of your sinfulness, yet your understanding of the cross isn't getting bigger. 
your, the personal application of what Jesus did on the cross, you will start pretending. And what happens is you start walking around like, I think I've got the energy and the strength to really kick this sinful habit. Like, I know I did it once. I know I looked at pornography once, but it's not a habit yet. Okay, now I'm up to five times, but it's not a habit yet. I can kick it. Okay, now I'm, I'm doing it weekly, but at least it's not daily. I've still got the strength to kick it. And now it is daily, but it hasn't affected any relationships in my world yet. I still have the strength to kick it. Who are you fooling? Who are you trying to fool? You're pretending. You are simply pretending that you're better than you are. And the reason you're pretending is because your picture of the cross isn't big enough. Your picture of what Jesus did on the cross when he rose again and said, all authority and all power has been given to me. Your understanding of that is not big enough. And you think grace forgives you of the past without understanding that grace empowers you to live a holy Christ-like lifestyle in the future. I need you to come with me. I need you to get this. Grace is not grease. Slips me out of that situation. I stuffed up there and I was going to get punished, but thanks be to God for grace. Slip me out of it. Now I'm not going to be suffering consequences for that. That's not grace. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I worked harder than every one of you guys, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was within me. Grace is shaping you. Grace is changing you. Grace is making you more like Jesus. And so you have to get, oh my gosh, I'm so prone to sinfulness. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that what he did on the cross was so big that he didn't just wash me clean. He made me a new creation and he filled me with his Holy Spirit to convict me and lead me and guide me and teach me and lead me in all truth and Thanks be to God that the cross wasn't just Jesus washing me, but making me new. What? You did all that? Wow, I just thought it was Easter when you got bloody on Friday and you got all shiny on Sunday. I thought that was it. Everything hinges on your understanding of the impact of the cross for you. Everything. And if it isn't big enough, you'll pretend. Oh, now, no, Jesus, because he's forgiven me of all sins, he doesn't care that. He, he, he knows me better than I know myself, right? And now I was fearfully and wonderfully made and knitted together in my mother's womb, like, right? Like I'm standing on the Word of God. And so he knows that I'm just prone to do this sin. And so he's okay with it. He's fine with me doing those sins. Who are you fooling? Who are you fooling? He died on the cross because of sin. Why would he be okay with sin? It's not okay with sin, but he's with you to empower you to break that chain off your will. He's with you to give you strength and a new creation. You're a, a new nature on the inside. Thank God for Romans 6. I'm no longer a slave of sin. Now I'm a slave of righteousness. It's giving me the power to the rest of my life. As John Owen said this beautiful statement. John Owen is one of the greatest theologians ever. He says this simple line, Christian, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. I'm going to say that again, because in case you haven't heard it, you need to get it. Christian, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Jesus said it like this. You want to follow me? Come to me daily and die. Take up your cross and die. 
Every single day I wake up, I'm slaying, I'm slaying that sin in my world, that proneness to be my own God, that proneness to make my own decisions, that proneness to lead my own life. I've got to kill sin. That proneness to make an idol and worship it and think it's amazing and look to it for acceptance and, and approval and make me feel whole. I've got to kill it. Jesus Christ is the only way. I need a bigger picture of the cross. Otherwise, I'll be pretending. And, and here's the other thing up here. So if our image of the cross isn't getting bigger, we're going to start to perform for God. Unless your impact of the cross is getting bigger, what the religious spirit says when there's sin in your world, if, if, if only you go to church more, if only you give more, if only you serve on more rosters, if you do more, God will accept you. God will be okay with that. If you do more, God's fine. No, go to the prayer meeting. There's a prayer and fast coming up leading into Easter. If you go to every single one, I think God's going to be okay with what you did last weekend. We laugh at that, but how many people think like that at times? I know I do sometimes. It's a human nature. We think there's been a debt. I need to pay it off. I know I, I, know I couldn't pay off my ticket to get to heaven, but my, my ticket to get liked? My ticket to have my prayers answered? Surely I've lost that when I stuffed up. And please don't think just because I get to hold this mic more than you, I, I'm, I'm less prone to sin. I have to fight that daily. And if I don't get a bigger understanding of the impact of the cross, I'm going to perform for God. All right, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing all the time. I'm going to give all of our finances and I'm not going to let us as a family have a holiday ever. I'm going to give all that money to the poor then do you love me? Then, then will you hear my prayer? Then will you smile at me when I worship? Then, then can I feel okay to lift my hands in worship? Will the guilt be gone? No. No. It'll be subdued for a season because of your own conscience. But no, it won't be gone. It will never be gone based off what you do, Christian. It'll be gone the moment you realize Jesus already took it. I need you to catch that. Your guilt for how horrible you feel when that sin does happen will not leave through you performing and doing good Christian-like works. It'll be subdued. Self-righteousness will subdue it. The Jews thought they were better than everyone because they subdued. They didn't have guilt removed. Subdued. Yeah, now I get it. Thanks, Al. They didn't the Jews didn't go, God, take it. You took it on the cross. You already paid the price. Jesus doesn't need to die again on the cross, right? He already died on the cross. And man, I keep struggling with this. But here's, my, here's the size of my revelation of the cross. And so how can he love me after I do that? And how can he love me? He's so amazing and he's so incredible. And my understanding of God's holiness is only growing bigger and bigger and bigger. When I see that when he died on the cross, he paid a debt to himself. That's really holy. That's huge. Don't think that God on the cross was like, okay, Satan, how, many, how much do I owe you for these people? He's not paying a debt to Satan. God's in control, people. 
Romans 11, once again, who, who was he borrowed from that he should owe him anything? God didn't owe Satan squat. But God is a just God. And in his justice, he cannot wipe away and go, oh, simply, well, I, I won't die on the cross, but I'll just forgive them. That's fine. They can come up here. If that's true, then we enter a new part of soteriology called universalism which is pretty much no matter how you live your life, everyone's going to heaven. Now, certain people believe that. I choose not to. Because otherwise, why did Jesus go through that excruciating death? I personally think he would have just gone, that's okay. Don't worry about your sins. You know what? Just keep doing little lamb offerings every now and again and some things like that and follow these ten commandments. Do that and I'll just let everyone in. But he doesn't. And there was a debt that had to be paid because, as Timothy Keller says, on the cross, you see a perfect just God and a perfectly loving God. And his justice, as a righteous judge, said, I cannot just wipe away your debt. Someone has to pay for it. But you can never, ever, ever pay this debt. You can never perform enough good deeds to pay this debt. And you... I hope you personalize this. You can never pretend that there isn't a debt. You just can't. There has to be a debt paid. And so here's the thing. Because you can't pay it, God literally came down himself, put on human. John chapter 1 verse 14, Philippians chapter 2 verses 7 and 8, he he put on humanity lived the life we couldn't live, was tempted in every way we are, yet was found without sin. Live the life we couldn't live to, to fulfill the law. He didn't wipe away the law. He fulfilled it. He did exactly what it required. And then as a perfect, spotless, blemishless, sinless offering on the cross, Jesus did what he didn't deserve, what I deserve, so that I could step over here and get what he deserves, direct access to God in heaven. Now, I'm not looking, this, this death of it on the cross, this punishment that was belonging to me, he took that and he says, now through faith in that, I get this, to come boldly into a throne room of grace that I can obtain mercy in a time of need. Oh, I hope every one of you right now, this is happening with this broken pen. When you get a bigger take on the cross, you'll come to a prayer meeting, not beating your chest, going, God, I'm so sorry that I stuffed up. God, don't, God, don't hate me. Don't hate me. Don't hate me. You'll come to a prayer meeting going, God, I am so sorry that I stuffed up. But thank you for already taking that away from me. Thank you for forgiving me, not only from the past, but thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for empowering me to break that sin off my world. Thank you for empowering me to live a lifestyle like you've called me to live. Thank you for empowering me, Holy Spirit, that that taste of sin, that desire for sin would fall to the ground and a desire for a holy, righteous life would grow in me. Thank you, God, that all of that is because of the cross. And suddenly, my one prayer for you guys, I seriously beg, beg this. Don't stay here. 
Jesus wasn't an awesome character for four books in the Bible. He's, he's not just like the hero who comes and goes. He's everything. He's everything. The reason that you are still here in church, aware of God, when you read the Bible, it makes sense. You get revelation. The reason that when you worship, you feel something. When, you, when you're serving and generous, you feel his joy. The reason all of that is happening is because of what he did on the cross. And my prayer is that we would just constantly, please see this is not a one-time thing. We have to constantly kill a desire in us to pretend that we're okay. Oh, guys, no, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine, guys. I'm doing okay. And connect group, small group, catching up with people. I'm okay. I'm okay. Don't, don't pretend. Who are, you, who are you pretending? And then don't perform. Let's not serve and clean up and pack up to try and make God happy with us through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. He's happy. Hey, he loves you. He loves you. He cannot love you anymore. But you can understand how much he loves you more. You can grow in that revelation of the cross. 